0: Hello, and welcome to the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Talks Conference Call Series. These talks, uh, for these talks, we bring in practitioners to share their stories and to focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning method that empowers residents to plan their future based on what matters most to them. My name is Fran Stoddard, and today in this hour-long event, we'll hear about engaging the arts in a community heart and soul effort. The arts offer meaningful and effective ways to engage residents, to strengthen relationships with each other and their community, particularly those who might not otherwise get involved. In this free talk, you'll hear how communities come together using portraits, story, and sculpture, among other forms, as a part of community heart and soul efforts um, or other efforts that your community might be involved in. Our speakers today are Debbie Moreno. She's a project director for Galesburg on track in Illinois, where they have tapped local artists in a variety of creative ways, including a huge portrait project and a logo contest. Also, Lindsay Varner, the project director for Greater Carlisle Heart and Soul in Pennsylvania. Um, she is using her background in oral history to inspire storytelling efforts in Carlisle. And Vasanti Miette, who served on the heart and soul of Essex, Vermont's core team, and helped with many activities, including two community-wide art projects. We have over 150, and we also actually have a surprise guest, which is terrific as well. We have over 150 folks registered today, and I want to welcome you all. We've put all of the listeners on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is a link to our Google Doc. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions so you can interact with us. You can open that document in your browser to follow along while Orton's Caitlin Davison takes notes. These Mm -hmm. notes will be proofed and refined after the call, uh, providing a great resource for you in the future. But Don't worry, that proofing is going to happen. We encourage you to open that Google Doc now and check it out and view the photos of some of the art projects our speakers will discuss. And you can add your own comments or questions to the document in real time. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see what questions have already been submitted to avoid redundancy. We'll leave this document up after the call for your continued input and reference. Then in a few days, we will send links to the call notes and the podcast to all registrants. If you're having trouble with Google Docs during the call, clicking the refresh icon should take care of it. If you're having any other technical issues, um, you can email Caitlin Davison at c.davison@orton.org. but please send your questions or comments for this call via the Google Doc right there in the, in the document. Thank you. So now on to our guests. Abby Moreno was raised in a hyper-intellectual family where math and science ruled, but after earning a graduate degree in theology and ethics, she married a sculptor, and they have shared a creative life ever since while raising three or five artistic children. Her professional life has revolved around some teaching, but principally around writing from investigative journalism to humor. Last December, she began working as the Galesburg, Illinois, Heart and Soul Coordinator. She considers the project an embodiment of the creative process. As part of her job, she has tapped local artists in a variety of ways, including inviting one to join us on this call today. Debbie has shared a number of photos of these projects with with us, so we encourage you to open those slides using the link in the Google Doc. Um, or to return to the doc after the call to view them later. So Deb, please share with us how you've incorporated the arts to move your community heart
1: and soul project forward. Thank you. It's an honor to be on this program today. I hope everybody is able to see the slides because I'm going to refer to them throughout my presentation. Um, I'm going to talk about three major ways that we have used the arts since the beginning of our project, which was really in January. I'm gonna start with something very simple that people can use anywhere. And so we can go to slide number two. And I'm calling this very informally the Gillsburg Butcher Buck Project. It, we've only just begun it. Um, we were only able to do this like at the end of the school year last year. Um, we sort of ha- we had to have a break during the summer because obviously the kids weren't in school and then we're starting this again. But it's really been an illustrative kind of experience I have three photos here of of, uh, drawings that kids have have made for us when we have pulled out big pieces of butcher block, laid them on the floor out in the hallway of their class outside their classrooms, and we've asked them the question, "What do you love about our town, Galesburg?" And so you will see in slide number two that there was a child who um, drew a target. And one of the things that's been really important. Um, for us as adults to do and interviewers is to pull back and not make assumptions about people's ideas and words and stories. so this child you know i as an adult, I kind of went in with the assumption that she liked Target because um you know that's where she bought her toys or candy or clothes. Um but what she ended up telling us when we interviewed her about her picture was that her mom worked at Target and she and the mom had worked there for quite a while and she felt that the other workers there were you know her family. That's where she connected. Um so that this simple little picture here in slide two is full of meaning. And that's one of the things that we found throughout this project. I'm gonna move to slide three here. Um the glory days image um, with the number three next to it is um, an actual –
0: Hold on. Deb, yeah, ahead. I'm just going to oh. interrupt you for just a second. This is – I think a lot of people are trying to click on the link, so some people might be able to go with you. It's, it's the link where it says click here. That is what Deb is referring to, and I think some people might be having trouble getting into it because there are a lot of people trying. So okay. just know you might have to describe more or less what's going on for those people that might not be able to link in. So sorry okay. for that interruption. That's well, no, but I no think a problem. A lot of people are able to.
1: Okay, so what these three slides are just images of children's drawings. They're very rudimentary. I think this was a classroom of fourth and fifth grade students. So um, images of um, I was going to ref- reference glory days, and it's a. Yeah, a barber shop. And a little boy said that he loved going to the barbershop shop because I think his parents were divorced, and he and his dad would get to go there, and they had cool things in the in the barber shop. So, it, you know, again, it was the, it wasn't a story that I expected to come out of that particular drawing. This can be done anywhere. It can be done with you know um, children in schools, all the way through nursing homes. So um, as long as you can pull back, listen carefully to what people say, and then record their story um, that, that becomes a, an important way to understand where somebody's coming from. Then the I'm trying to pack a lot into these five minutes, so forgive me if I'm going too quickly. The second project I wanted to talk about was a logo and tagline campaign that we um, undertook probably around February or so, February, March. And um, what I'm sh- what the slide shows is a bunch. Of, there's a drawing of a bunch of people, and it says Galesburg and Galesburg Heart and Soul logo and tagline campaign. It's just a description of what, we're, what we were looking for. We distributed these um, forms throughout the community, really thousands of them in English, French, and Spanish, because we have um, communities where people speak those languages. We wanted to cast a really wide net so that we could get lots of submissions for our logo and tagline. Um, I'm turning to slide 6 now, which is another child's drawing. It's colorful. It's of a sunrise and a train track and some green around the train track. We are in the middle of Illinois. That's our community. We are a railroad community. And we also have lots and lots of soybean and corn fields and big skies. So this child captured that image. And um, then we had another submission where somebody, and we don't even know who this person was, um, had another picture of a train, but she had this little phrase on track, applied arts on track. Well, that really wasn't entirely what we were looking for, but we liked that phrase on track. So we appropriated that, and we came up with a Galesburg on track logo and tagline. In the next photo, we um, this is slide number eight, um, we had a professional graphic designer walk through our doors Um, early on in the project and tell us, I think you need my help. (laughs) So she has been a dream come true. She came up with four different sets of designs based on the logo and tagline campaign and the results of that. And so you can see four different examples of, of what she presented to us. And then our leadership team, our heart and soul leadership team, decided on a final logo. So in slide number nine, you'll see our graphic designer, Karen Noble, who's there, the blue shirt, and then the girl whose identity I'm trying to predict um, she was the artist who drew the original image. Um, the next slide shows how we have used that image on T-shirts. On the back, it says, get on board. Um, it's very lively. We also have created you know, lots of different colors, or we've used colors so that people can express their individuality. And here are some examples of where we have used our logo and tagline. So obviously on T-shirts, but on the little frisbees in the wagon behind the boy. I'm on slide 11. Um, We also have the logo and tagline. We have them on pencils and pens and all kinds of giveaways so that we continue to spread the word about heart and soul in Galesburg. Here's our banner that we used in two parades this summer, uh, Memorial Day and, and Labor Day parades, and some of the people who walked with us. So we're really quite proud of our image because I think that people are beginning to really recognize it and know what we're about. And then here I'm going to switch to the third project I wanted to talk about, which is the portrait project. Um, John Baker, who's on the line with us and who's going to speak in a minute, undertook this um, like fantastic project where he wanted to – um, paint the portraits of, of people in our community. He's John's from Chicago, but he has the Galesburg Connection, um, and we asked if we could partner with him when he was ready to exhibit his whole project, and John was extremely generous with us, and Mark Holmes, who is is one of the connectors for us um, all at Knox College, also allowed for this partnership. So we worked together, and I think it was a fantastic way to highlight John's work. Um, to build community ca- connections and to talk about where we might go as a community in the next you know f- 10 years or 20 years. So I, so this was on slide 13. You, this was the invitation, the partnership of, of the different um, entities. And on slide 14, you can see the, the portrait project that John put together. It's um, an amazing assortment of people from all different walks of life who live in Gillsburg. Um the slide number fifteen was the opening event, and, as you can see from the various pictures, there were a lot of people we had about two hundred join us um, as part of our heart and soul effort we had we asked people to write on those boards that you see there are the dry erase boards, asking folks you know galesburg is dot 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 or what is great about galesburg um so here are just a few photos from that event. We also videotaped people and asking them their stories, um, what was working, what wasn't, some of their hopes, dreams, and visions. And so here, as you can see, I just want you to kind of get a sense of John's work. Um, This is Pam Davidson, and you can see behind her, next to her, is her own portrait. Um, We're going to move down to the next one. One of the wonderful features of this was um, John... uh, allowed for people who um, were not necessarily drawn or, or painted to participate. So in this instance, this is actually um, Bob Langa who's in that purple hat. And he did have an image painted, but there's a mirror right next to him. And so through the mirror, I took this photo of him. So people who were not necessarily part of the project can still impose their, their image into this project um, virtually. So that was a really dynamics that, you know, add on to the project. And as you can see here in slide 18, people were sitting in front of the project, talking to each other, identifying family and friends, um, just kind of hanging out, which is um, slightly different from other art shows that I've attended. And then finally, I love this picture. Um, This is slide number 19. That's John, the artist, and I think you can see the joy on his face. Um I'm sure for him it was joy that he had completed the project, but at the same time he made some incredibly deep connections with people in the community, and that's what I see in this, in this photograph. And finally, those, all of those portraits are painted onto boxes that John made, and the, the portrait project has moved three times into different locations in our community, and it's quite the task to move it. Um, but again, it's another way for people to gather together to help out and to um, you know be collaborative in this art project so here they are in slide number 20 there's John in the very in the bed of the truck in the back um, moving these portraits to another location and then here in slide 20 I just kind of made my own little um, I don't know collage of different sections of the portrait project so you can get a sense of of the beautiful work he did and so with that, I'm just going to turn this over to John so he can explain his piece of all this. Great. Thank you so much, Debbie.
0: And thank you, John, for being with us. And so why don't you add on to um, this project, uh, how you came up with it and what it's meant to you?
2: Well, thanks, Fran. Um, you know, the, the project was uh, hosted by Knox College's art department and funded by Blick Art Materials, the Downtown Council, and the Gilsburg Foundation of uh, my goal was to simply affirm the dignity of the people living in Galesburg. Uh, it seemed to me that in the aftermath of losing major employers like Maytag, for example, that people might need to be reminded that they still matter. And a hand-painted portrait is the act of paying attention for two or three hours to an individual, which is a way to say that you matter. Um, in addition, you know, we, we get our uh, identity from the networks that we inhabit. So it was really important for me that those networks were represented, and that's why there are so many portraits. And I think, I, I think there are 406. Uh, uh, you know, and when people look at the project, what I want them to do is to recognize those networks and to say, yeah, that's my town. Um, so... You know, when the project opened uh, last March, uh Mark joined event with Heart and Soul, there were top business people in town. Uh, the mayor was there. But there were also homeless people. There were Latino and African-American communities. There were
0: former workers at Maytag. There were
2: Harley riders, uh, railroad employees, kids. Uh,
0: uh, John, we're losing you a little college. bit. Maybe you need to talk directly into the phone.
2: The, the residents of... Uh, the retirement community. Um uh, the chair of Knox's art department, Mark Holmes, said that that was the first time he'd seen all those people in the same room. Um, so, you know, the fact that we collaborated, I think meant that we, that we drew more than we could have on our own. Uh, and when I, you know, when I think about, about Galesburg, and Galesburg has such an impressive past. But and, and you can wax nostalgic about that. But I think that Yellsburg's future can be summed up by the writer Marilyn Robinson. Uh she said to value one another is our greatest safety. Um and I you know, I what I hope for this project is that, you know, that's a that that's a reminder that um that you know nobody gets left behind.
0: It's it's really an amazing project. Um john and and just a quick uh how how did you choose what you had there are 400 portraits which is really pretty remarkable did you did you have photographs i might have i might have missed that when when the phone was
2: acting oh. up <clears throat> um i uh what i did was i asked people to send uh portraits um uh, by probably by email but of course you know not everybody has email so i also collected uh, uh snapshots Um, from uh, a whole range of people. Uh, In fact, I interrupted people's dinners and breakfasts at (laughs) McDonald's and (laughs) – but eventually I I managed to collect this and then there's a a process of taking those uh, portraits, uh, processing processing them into a line drawing and painting over that line drawing. Wow.
0: Terrific. Well, John has promised that he will stay with us, so if you have specific questions for John, please enter them in the Google Doc, and um, if uh, – can, can we move on, John? Or I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. About, you. No, no,
2: yeah. no, no, that's fine. Okay, that's
0: fine. so stay tuned, and, and again, if you have um, more questions for John, please enter them into the Google Doc. We have two more terrific guests who were going to give us other examples. Uh, We've already had a a good number um, offered up, but Lindsay Varner is here. She earned a master's and a PhD in history from Durham University in the UK, where she also worked for the Durham World Heritage Site, applying historical knowledge with heritage outreach and community engagement. So Back in Pennsylvania, Lindsay began teaching part-time at Elizabethtown College. She also created an oral history project with students at Carlisle High School, and soon after was hired as the project director of Greater Carlisle Heart and Soul, and she has used um, her skills at uh, oral history for her project that she will explain to you now. Lindsay, it's great to have you with us.
3: Thank you very much. Um, Yes, so I am based within the Cumberland County Historical Society, which um, is basically housing the Greater Carlisle Project. And one of the things that we're quite keen to do is to not just collect stories for the heart and soul process um, and for Greater Carlisle and put them into a repository, but to actually use them in a public engagement type of way. So we look at how people view the past and remember the past and then how we can actually use that to see what people want to um either see preserved or um, done for the future. And since February, we've been collecting stories through a variety of methods. We look at oral history as not just audio and video, but it can be children's drawings. It can be written down onto postcards, um, people writing things just onto 8 by 11 sheets um, telling us their story. And since February, we've collected a little little over 600 of these stories. Um, But some of the most remarkable ones are just stories that we've collected by sitting down in people's living rooms, uh, turning a tape recorder on, just having a conversation with people. Um, And one of our most, um, probably one of the best stories that we've collected has been from a family in one of the greater Carlisle municipalities, Mount Holly Springs. And from their story, we learned their entire family history, their connection to the area, and one of the aspects of the story that they said they most wanted to see done for the community was to not lose any more history in the community. Um, this is a community that, at one point, was one of the most popular resort towns in central Pennsylvania. They had a trolley going through, a roller coaster, um, it had a nice lake that was set up, and it was—it's all gone now. The—the um, the only thing that's left are a couple of trails that run through. And the same goes for the factories that were there. Uh, Many of the churches that were there have been torn down. And she began telling us that her family church, the church that uh, the African-American community used uh, from the 1870s onwards, is still there. So we captured her family story and the story of the congregation uh, from Mount Holly Springs, and we began reaching out to other members of the community to see if they could remember when that church was actually in use. And there weren't very many people around who remembered it or who even knew that the church was still there. And it, it's completely overgrown. You can't see it from the road, but it sits on the back um, of these three ladies' properties. And it was built by their grandfather around 1870. And this church is just a phenomenal piece of history, both for the community but then also for the wider county as well. We think it's probably one of the last remaining A.M.E. Zion churches that's in its original log form So. And from just one story we managed to rally the entire community. We got local professors involved, um preservationists from the state uh and also a local nonprofit became involved, the Cumberland County Historical Society became involved, and it just became this massive community effort to try to at least preserve the memory of this location, um of both the cemetery that's there, which houses seven US color troops that are um buried as well as the church itself uh, and everything that was inside the church. The congregation ended in 1970, they shut the door, and it's just this beautifully preserved piece of property that is in dire disrepair that we're working to try and save for the memory of this family as well as for the history of the community. So it's, it's a phenomenal example of the way in which we can actually use oral histories to engage with the community. Uh, Once we started reaching out to members of the local community, their own stories started coming out uh, from their own childhood, from uh, their memories of uh, the churches that they went to in the area, which we have very few left uh, in that community as well. So it was an, was an, an amazing way just to see how the community immediately stepped forward and began offering everything from a free 3D scanner of the church in case it did collapse End of the cemetery as well. Somebody's offering a 3D printer so that we can do a model of it. Um, we're getting shrubs from a local greenhouse so that we can map out to the cemetery. And all of this is just the community stepping forward. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so yeah, from this, all of these stories that we have collected are going to end up in a repository Um, So in the hopes that as people are listening to it, we'll have more people stepping forward and wanting to take community action in a a similar manner.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's an exciting story. And uh, there are two – there's an interior shot and an exterior shot of this church uh, that she's talking about on the Google Doc. Uh, And so we we wish you more good luck. It's really amazing to get uh, the community so involved in this project. Um, we are well. I'll, I'll come back to that later. We'll, we'll get all three stories, and then and then I'll I'll get my questions answered as well. So I'd like to go on to our third guest, uh, Vasanti Miet, is a fourth and fifth grade. School school teacher who grew up in Essex, Vermont, and is now raising her two sons there with her husband. She was an active volunteer in her town's Community Heart and Soul project, which included a community-wide arts project called Mobilize Essex that she'll explain in a moment, along with another uh, quite recent and another very cool art project that also brought the town together. Welcome, Vasanti, and uh, let us know about the cool projects that have happened in Essex.
4: Hi, thank you for having me. So my name is Vasanti and I'm calling in from my classroom here in Shelburne, Vermont. And um, born and raised in Essex, Vermont, as Fran has mentioned. And just to paint a picture of what Essex looks like, it's a beautiful place um, in the eastern part of the nation. And it's a small place, and it's a place where foliage is now coming um, into these picturesque moments around town. And it's a great place to raise your family. It's a place that's very community oriented and a place where people are really progressive in the way they think and act. And so obviously that's why uh born and raised here, went to college here, and now giving back to my community um, by being a teacher and raising my family here in Essex, Vermont. So when I joined Heart and Soul of Essex, I was answering a front porch forum Link and Front Porch Forum here in Vermont is a way that neighborhoods communicate. It's an email newsletter of sorts where people can post anything from perennial giveaways to here's a way for you to um, engage with your community. And so immediately that post connected with me. I was looking for a way to give back to my community. I was so involved in my work and where I taught and my school community and my kids were in entering the Essex school district and I just wanted a way to be involved and this seemed to fit in with my belief um and my love for the town where I was born and raised so the heart and soul of Essex um worked really hard to engage as many members of the community that we could and one of the ways Um, that we engaged was by hosting these neighborhood conversations, we called them. And we invited ourselves into people's homes, the library, churches, um, schools, anywhere where we could organize a diverse group of people, whether they were New Americans, whether they were clergy. We just wanted to have a conversation with a group of people who could tell us what our community valued and what they wished for future and from these conversations the heart and soul of ethics was able to come up with a set of core values and the core values were the local economy health and recreation community connections education thoughtful growth and safety and with a graphic designer we took these six um, core values and created logos that were displayed throughout the community, and it kind of became our brand. This is what we were after, this is what we believed in, and this is what we were gonna support in the town. And so in putting education and community connections together, we decided it was time to mobilize our community. And with the help of the art teachers in the local schools, and there were eight across Essex and Essex Junction, We worked with an artist named Kevin Reese who had done this kind of work all over the world. Um, His website is great if you want to check it out. Again, it's Kevin Reese. He is a sculptor, and he believes in mobilizing your community or mobilizing your school into one joint project. So together, um, the board the Heart and Soul board and the community and the art teachers, we needed to, again, fundraise to bring Kevin to Essex Heart and Soul. So the way we went about collecting money was through donations, but also saying, okay, here are our values. Kevin is going to help us symbolize our values through these sculptures. How amazing would it be for your business or your school to house one of these mobiles and to support the vision of the community. And so that was how we collected our donations um, to raise the funds to bring Kevin to town. And then it just spiraled into this great project where we got to work with the art teachers in the building um, and the board was actively involved. We even had to hire a consultant per se or someone to direct this project because there were many moving parts. But in the end, it was so successful and such a celebration of our values and our community. Um, Kevin worked to create symbols that represented the values of the local economy, health and recreation, community connections, education, thoughtful growth, and safety. And then with students pre-K through 12th grade, he had students painting pieces and cutting pieces and attaching pieces and learning not only You know, how to use art to represent our beliefs but, you know, the physics and the design involved in creating these pretty large-scale mobiles. And now when you walk throughout ethics and you enter certain businesses and you enter the school and the library, you see these symbols of what the community believes in. And from this project, you know, we have seen more opportunities and more ways where the community has come together we we had two school boards or school districts and we are currently working on coming together into one school unified district. And the arts have always been something that the schools have, seen, have unified around. And last year, we also have, you know, Heart and Soul wasn't involved, but hopefully motivated this kind of thinking and this kind of community connection where the art teachers coordinated another event with a local artist, and created lanterns of all sorts. You know, some were really big, some were really small, and it became this parade of lights. And um, this artist has done it in other communities in Vermont, but it really symbolized in Essex where we were headed, and that we were coming together, we were believing in the same things, and so over a thousand students and parents and teachers paraded through the town carrying a variety of lanterns that had been made in the classrooms across the schools. And it it was just really unifying. It was beautiful to see. It was a cold, cold winter night here in Vermont, yet people were still there because they believed in this and they were so happy to see us collaborate on something this big and this important.
0: And Vasanti, can I just, ask a quick question. So in the Lantern Project, that was absolutely connected to this unification of school districts, which is no easy task. And soon after that, there was a vote, as I understand it. And that vote went through and those uh, districts are unifying. How is the the Lantern Art Project connected to it? Or or was it, I, I think it was connected in some way?
4: Well, I'm sure it was to also you know educate people as to where we were headed as a community, and it was another way to engage the community in the conversation mm-hmm. and give them opportunities to see what this could mean for ethics and how it will look and Even now, the heart and soul of ethics is still active in the process we're working on two other um <clears throat> sort of municipalities coming together our recreation department and our um Oh, I just drew a blank. Well, and so the school district. And so in both of those issues, the heart and soul, this living room conversation and these forums, we haven't stopped with that method in engaging our community. And we're coming together to talk and brainstorm and revise our thinking about how we're going to bring our recreation departments together and how is it going to look when our school districts are unified. What is it going to look for students? What's it going to look like for families? What is it going to look like for teachers and administrators? So again, I think one thing that's really powerful from the heart soul process is the methods and the ways that you continue to engage your community in discussion and problem solving for these amazing outcomes. And I just feel lucky that in Essex, the arts has played a really big role in at least engaging and creating those connections to get people to the right places.
0: Awesome. Vasanti, thank you so much for explaining that um, that whole piece of business. I'm sure we'll be back to you a little bit on, on a question about fundraising that, that we have here. But I'd like to get to our Q&As that we, we have right now. So um, I'll ask a, a couple of questions. Our first one came in from Ben uh, in New Hampshire and he says artistic endeavors are met are often met with public criticism so he wonders if if um, any of you have been faced with public resistance to involving the art art or artists in this work it seems that the projects you've all described have not been particularly controversial um but maybe there's even you know how do you even get people in, involved maybe maybe it's more um a problem of apathy uh Debbie, do you want to? I, I just like a, a quick response from each of you about, you know, was there any public criticism, and if not, how did you kind of overcome what might have even just been apathy about it? Debbie,
1: um, we did not really experience any pushback at all from the community. In fact, I think that they really embraced this project, um, primarily because so many people were involved in it. Um, it was mm-hmm. it was definitely definitely a unifying. Project, but uh, let me ask John because John's done something like this in Chicago and at a police station, I believe, and I'm wondering if he's had any experience with that.
2: Well, you know, in in collecting portraits, um, um, it's it's just it's it's just uh, a slog. I mean, you you ask lots and lots of people for their portraits, and of course, you know, people kind of look at you weird, like, "What do you mean you want to pay my portrait?" Uh, um so I always had to be really careful that I introduced myself as, you know, the Knox College Arts and Residence, and I'm doing this project. But, you know, I, I, uh, my, uh, my colleague Mark thought that there would just be an avalanche, and I thought, well, that'd be really wonderful, because that's never happened before. And I was still collecting, um, uh, or trying to collect, um uh, portraits, uh, i think in, in mid November even though I'd started in uh in early September, so it's you know you just kind of have to overcome resistance and, and the way you do that is is simply by putting yourself out there and and keeping at it mm-hmm.
0: great um and uh, lindsay did did you experience um any any resistance to um any anything that you were doing? Um, I
3: find, for us, it was a little bit of apathy um, and a little bit of resistance in the sense that not everybody feels that they have a story that needs to be told, especially one that's worth being reported. Um, So that comes up quite frequently. The other issue that tends to come up, um, which is usually where the apathy comes from, um, is money itself, is that people just, they they see a, a very big project, even if it is an important one. To a, a community group, um, and but most people tended to get past that. We didn't have a whole lot of issues once we started talking with people, um, started playing the interviews that we've collected and the stories that we've collected. People really got on board with the project.
0: Mm, great. And Santi, did you um, did you feel you had to overcome any any resistance of any sort?
4: I don't think we had resistance to the project. I think we just had to really focus on. Communicating with our collaborators, our art teachers were a big piece um, in, you know, making the project happen in the schools. And, you know, I think because it was a residency in the schools and the community could engage through workshops that happened outside of school hours and work, I guess, I like I say, work parties or work nights where you came and you – worked with Kevin at night in the school on, you know, painting pieces or attaching pieces. Um, And then, you know, people on the Heart and Soul board needed to to have, you know, my family got to have dinner with Kevin twice during the week. And so for my family, it was this great opportunity to engage not only with the project but Mm -hmm. with the artist himself. And so it was a way to build a lot of connections. I think the hardest part was the fundraising and asking Community businesses for um, donations. In the end, I think that was probably the hardest part was getting to ten thousand dollars.
0: Right, which is not uh, a small amount,
4: and we had to, you know, take anything we could get. So the movie theater felt like they couldn't give us a monetary donation, but they gave us screen time where we could still publicize Heart and Soul mission in in the in the town in trade for a mobile being placed in their in their business. The local gym, you know, was able to donate $100. So, you know, some things came from personal donations, some bigger businesses, architectural firms and things donated more money, and I think even some of the schools donated and supported the project with their funds.
1: Right.
0: Terrific. Well, this, this takes me absolutely the perfect segue into the next question which was um Scott asking about how does does public art help with fundraising? And Vasante, you've just given us great examples about how to fund a project um that is happening there. I'm wondering if there are other ways of, of looking at this question. Does public art help with fundraising? I don't know whether it's for um other projects that Heart and Soul are doing, or certainly to fund the art project that you're doing, which is Again, fulfilling a mission that you might have for engagement or for heart and soul. Uh, Lindsay, you know, has, has what you have done around oral history helped with, uh, tourism, current issues, uh, and to possibly get some funding? How, how have you dealt with the funding issue?
3: Um so we're we're fairly early on in our process um so we're starting to look at our funding now uh and the hope is is that it will help with tourism a bit uh and what we have found so far really is that the, the stories themselves collecting these oral histories and showing the importance of them has has really sparked an interest whenever we we pitch uh make the pitch for funding it shows that it's not just you know, an important location that people will never actually see, but it, there's a much broader uh, community engagement wide aspect to it. And that tends to be very helpful when looking for um, funding, particularly when it comes to just funding that particular site, which is now becoming part of the community group. So when I talked about the church um, and the pictures that you see on the Google Doc. There's now a community organization that's looking to find funding to help to save or at least preserve the memory of it. And the fact that we've been able to collect stories surrounding it from members of the community, from the last congregants of the church, it's 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 really helpful in putting a much more personal touch onto a building that is falling apart. And we found we found that to be very, very helpful, that these stories aren't just pieces of history that go into a repository. There's so much more to them.
0: Great, and 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 Lindsay, you're just a, right on the edge of n- not being quite loud enough. So you can speak up next time you you answer. But I got it all. But you have to strain just a little bit. Um, Debbie, I don't know if you have anything to add to this whole funding question. Are there? Are, do you have anything to add there?
1: You know, I don't. We we really haven't gotten to a place where we've had to worry about fundraising. I know that that John was able to leverage the generosity of some of our local businesses. So, as he mentioned earlier, he got some money for the project from Dick Blick and a couple other organizations. Um, I'm just going to turn that to you, John, because I don't have much experience. People partnered to make this happen.
2: Yeah, go ahead, John. Right. Well, it was was simply a matter of um, initially the college inviting me because they knew some of my other work, and that was funded by Blick. But – uh we we needed a little bit more and uh uh we you know we managed to raise um uh from several other partners uh uh you know enough so that uh we could we could fund the project and you know that that kind of happened sort of both during and after the the process it wasn't like it was all up front it was um a little bit of uh you know, beating the bushes uh in the process as well.
0: Okay. I'm going to combine the next two questions. This is three and four, and Charlotte from South Dakota and Joan from Colorado have questions about how to assure that underrepresented folks are included in these projects and programs. And you can check out Joan's description of her very robust program that makes sure all populations can attend cultural events by reducing barriers, including providing uh, free tickets or free transportation, even door-to-door. And she wonders if there are other ideas to break down uh, barriers to having people involved in these art projects, and Charlotte asks if certain groups like those with the are targeted for participation, so I, I'd like to ask you all how you've engaged typically underrepresented folks like New Americans or economically disadvantaged residents, elders, people with disabilities, or even young parents with children. Um, how do you assure that they can be a part of these projects? Um, so, Vasante, I'll go go back to you because I know you were even talking about time of day when uh, Kevin would hold these workshops. So certainly he would go into the schools, and that would be part of the school day. But uh, there was also a concerted effort to get the rest of the community involved.
4: Yeah, I think it was fabulous the way that we had weekend opportunities where um, at the beginning of the week, um where Kevin held workshops where you could come as a family and it didn't matter who you were or you know what background you had, you were invited to come and join Kevin in the school. And I I I could see that school the community board members of the Heart and Soul would also invite and even drive if we needed to and bring people to events. Um the other way I think we kind of reached all people was Involving children, and being in the school. So we did connect with a diverse group of students. You know, they were younger, but they were still part of the community and a really large part of the community. So they were all involved. Uh, and I know we just, like, each of us had a contact, and our contact was, you know, whether it was clergy or whether it was the church group or the new Americans or even the young, um, new parents we just used our personal connections to bring people in, like, oh, let's go together, or I can't wait to see you there. And again, mm-hmm. like, even for me, to get my per- my own family involved was, oh, I'll-, I'll have dinner with the artist one night, for mm-hmm. sure. That, you know, how doesn't get any better than that. So, and I know it's multiple fine. people did that and included others, whether it was at their house or in a restaurant. And I know... I feel like the artist also really enjoyed that and then more of the heart and soul of the town because of his experience goes into the project.
0: Absolutely. Great. Thank we, you. And any,
4: great. Anytime we had nighttime events, sorry, Sven, we, oh, we always offered babysitting.
0: Awesome. That's brilliant. That, now that's yeah. right <laughs> there. Uh,
4: yes. And another event that came out of our work is we had in the town of Essex and the Junction every Friday night, a different church hosts a meal and it's called um, Essex Eats Out and it's free. And I know that within the churches, drivers are set up to go and bring elderly or um, people with disabilities Mm -hmm. to the events to have this shared meal.
0: Terrific, that's a lot like what um, Charlotte does. And, and Debbie, you were talking about making sure that uh, your communications is in several languages, among other things. Are there other ways that that you have broken down barriers to involvement and participation?
1: Yeah, We've gone into um, a couple of Congolese churches so that we can um, explain this project to them and and the whole effort of heart and soul. We we have a, um, a lot of new immigrants, actually, hundreds of them who have been moving here over the last five years or so. They're very important to our community, and so we are making pretty, you know, significant efforts to include them in any way we can um, so that, you know, and the other part of it, um, I see this as sort of a question about vulnerable po- populations. We are out in the community trying to touch as many um, demographic groups as possible, so um, there's always a very conscious effort to to be um, inclus- as inclusive as we can.
0: Terrific. And, Lindsay, it certainly seems like you've been reaching out with your oral histories to all groups. Is there anything you want to add to um, to this conversation?
3: Yeah, I'll just add. Um, I don't want to reiterate too much of what the other two speakers have already said, but it's quite similar where we don't assume that people are going to just come to us if we set a table up. We're very active in reaching out to as many people as we can and using the connection links that are already established in our community. Um, so going to, you know, the churches which do have buses and they go out and pick up residents to bring them in if they're elderly and they can't drive. So using their resources to really make sure that we're out, we're able to reach out to numerous people. So we're very active in the community and we, we pick specific events knowing that we're going to hit a, a broad spectrum of the people who are living in the area. And so it, it's very much making sure that we're as involved in everything that's happening and using what's already there.
0: Terrific. Uh, before Can I can I piggyback? Yeah, please go ahead, can I piggyback John. on that? Sure.
2: Um one of the one of the things that I experienced was, you know, I was I wanted people to send me email photographs and not everybody has email, so I had to make sure that um that I went to people like uh the community dinner and uh uh the retirement home and the like uh to make sure that, that happened. And then the other the other thing was Um, I'm not sure if any of you have experienced this, but, you know, when I asked for portraits, um, there were tons of women who would send me, you know, them and their spouse, them and their kids. Uh, Guys, not so much. So I really had to work at including um, men so that uh, Galesburg didn't look like uh, the origin of the Amazon myth.
0: (laughs) That's really interesting, was there anything else happened that that was unexpected? I mean, did you expect that because 'cause you've been doing this for a while, or was that a surprise
2: well i I think I kind of knew that, but uh-huh. the fact that I really had to recruit men um <laughs> they were a little difficult uh you know I would go to bars i would uh <laughs> uh I would harass people at at lunch um um in the end, it, it, it worked, but it, you, you had to work at it.
0: Did you get feedback from them that they were glad that they actually participated and were surprised <clears throat> yeah,
2: that by was a that? Mix, that, was, that was a mixed bag. I remember an old farmer who said, yeah, I just don't do that. Farmers don't do that. Uh, on the other hand, there was a this this a really wonderful story of a, this guy on a Harley, and I had to get a Harley because – all you hear it, at at night in Galesburg are trains and Harley's. And um he had this this guy had um dumped his tray at uh, Kentucky fried chicken and thrown out his keys. So he came in uh, to retrieve his keys and I got a picture of him on his Harley and uh, uh when I when I went to show him his portrait because I was trying to recruit guys, he was a bartender. Um, he couldn't stop smiling. He just—he uh, uh, he was incredibly pleased. So you know, it's a mixed bag.
1: Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you for Can that. Can I add one one little piece about about John's portrait project? Yeah. Sure. It it um, and this doesn't have to do necessarily with this issue per se, but I just want to say that we've already lost some people in our community who have been part of John's project. Um, mm. You know, yeah. tragically. And so it really is a piece of our history. And um, that is incredibly important to me, and I know it is to a lot of other people as well. So not only was this just a living project, but it's a project that will continue to have its, its um, gain meaning over the years. Mm. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Deb. Uh,
1: we also have further
0: resources for reaching people uh, with disabilities in our resources section. So um, you all can check there. And, and Debbie, actually, I want to come back to you about engagement. I wondered if you can give a few more details about how you engage students and community members in the logo project, because it was terrific that you used really the best of your community members' ideas and their talents to come up with your logo. So um, can you tell us just a little bit about the process of of engaging those ideas?
1: Yeah, it's sort of a blur because we were in a big hurry to get the – The papers out to the different schools. I mean, we made thousands of copies of the form. And I just, I, you know, went to all the different schools. We had our leadership members, um, going to churches, nursing homes city entities, I mean, all over the place, and we just left piles of those forms everywhere. And I did with the schools, I wrote an introductory letter explaining what we wanted the kids to do. A couple of people on our leadership team made a very, very short video that we put on Google Docs, and the the teachers pulled that up and explained so we could personalize it a little bit. Um, and, you know, we didn't get maybe a huge response. I think we received about 100 submissions out of thousands of papers that were distributed. Mm-hmm. But we got enough that we felt that it was representative of the community and that we could, um, you know, call a an image that really does represent Gelsberg. So we we were really pleased with how that happened. But it, there was a lot of footwork. I, I will say that. Okay, thanks.
0: And I'd like to, uh, be, before we were we coming up to to the close but i i just wanted to throw out that these are just a few examples we have had many examples about how the arts have been uh have been engaged from having citizens do the um uh, the good bad and the ugly um art about Cortez Colorado and it was just participation and the local uh, art gallery just put up whatever people entered into it and told them more about heart and soul during that time. But it was it brought in some amazing uh just very grassroots art about how people felt about the town. There was another one where um an artist wove stories actually into weavings and silkscreened the stories into um a piece of art. And um also in Cortez they they let these young people go wild with graffiti on a skate park and then all um, much of the tagging issues around town uh diminished in in uh greatly. So those are just some things I know in another town they took oral histories. I'm not sure Lindsay. I it sounds like there's a repository for your oral histories. Others have put them into publications or even had theater projects that have come out of some of these oral histories, so there are lots of things we hope that you perhaps um, if you 're listening in and you know of a great art project that you did to engage your town you 'll add that um, as a as a link or please describe it on the google doc page we would We would love to hear from you, so we just have a few minutes left, so i just i want to go back to our guests and and john i 'll let you be a part of this about um really what what would you say to our guests today about how they can think about employing the arts to help um, with their community engagement? What 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 are some first steps? Or you might just have a um, a, a final wrap-up thought. But if you can just help people, how, how do they get? How do they even get started with the arts? Or some final thoughts. So um, why don't we again? We'll start with Lindsay. Yeah, I would final
3: say that, thoughts.
4: Yeah,
3: I would say that if you're interested in getting your community engaged with the arts, it's sitting down with some very invested members of your community and talking to them about what do you think works best um, in your area. One of the things that we were very keen in Greater Carlisle was to re- use the resources that were in place, to not to actually um, reinvent the wheel in any way, um, but to look around and see what do we have and what can we build upon. And that's that's what we really did. Um, by partnering with the Cumberland County Historical Society, we were able to build off of the new digital library that they had, the Gardner Digital Library, and just really take that and use it to engage with this much wider community that they really never would have had the opportunity to do um, with, uh, with just the one employee they really have running the, the library. So it really allowed us to take something that's, already in place and run with it and just let the community take ownership of it. And I think that that's why it's been as successful as it has been. It's why we've been able to get 600-odd stories in
0: just less than a year. It's it's, it's amazing. Great advice, Lindsay. Thank you. And Vasanti, your thoughts?
4: Just listening to Lindsay, I think it takes a coordinator that can keep all the pieces moving, but I think it's more important to find an artist that, is gonna be able to connect with your vision and what you wanna see happen in your community and um, go from there. I know to bring what I've done with Heart and Soul even into my school community, we're doing an empty bowls event here in school where we're raising awareness about hunger in our state, in our community, and working. I'm working with my art teachers. So for me, it was definitely having the artists to kind of mobilize the whole event.
1: Great,
0: right. and and John, a a quick word, and we'll end up with Debbie. Go
4: ahead, John. Well, so I think
2: you know I I really like all of those ideas. Uh, if you have a local college, um, uh, they may have an art department that could uh, be uh, real useful. Um, there's a there's a category of art called uh, community community arts or participatory art, which would you know all of these projects fit into which if you kind of look for that kind of person um uh that will steer you away from uh um, you know some some that may steer you away from some conflict uh, mm-hmm. with the artist um.
0: thank you great and and debbie you can um close it up for us oh
1: boy <laughs> well um <laughs> I, what I all I did was open my eyes. I just looked around and asked, "Where are there already um, artistic um, things happening in the community?" And I was so just incredibly lucky that John was working on this because it was it was a natural fit for um, Heart and right. Soul. I would say it was a soft launch for us, and um, we it, it was a fantastic community event. Um, so, but you know that's so that 's a more formal project, but I would definitely say you know schools are incredibly rich with um, opportunities and I was at um a home for the developmentally disabled not long ago, and two of the people who were severely disabled had already created pieces of art: one had written a book and another had um postcards that she had put together and were being distributed um and, you know you could actually purchase them. So I think, you know, when you look for those opportunities, they're already there. And then if you can figure out a way to leverage them, you know, that that's how we've done it so far.
0: Awesome. Well, Debbie Moreno and John Baker, thank you so much um, for being a, a part of this. And Lindsay Varner and Vasanti Mayette uh, from just all across the country. I want to thank all four of you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining our call. Please take just a moment to fill out a brief survey about this call by clicking the link at the top of the Google Doc in the announcement section so we can make adjustments or enhance what we're doing right for you. A podcast of this call and the Google Doc call notes will be emailed around and posted online in the next few days. You can continue to add to them as you were inspired by today's. We hope you join us for our next Orton Family Foundation event on Thursday, October 20th. It's a heart and soul talk on big ideas for small town business success. Cultivating local businesses and encouraging entrepreneurs is key to a vibrant community. Our panelists who have owned businesses, worked with entrepreneurs, and helped make their downtowns vibrant will share the secrets of their success. Thank you all for participating. We hope you walk away with creative inspiration today. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time. Thanks to everybody. Bye-bye.